Uh, last night of Jesus' life, he's praying on behalf of his, his disciples and then some. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's the gospel of the Lord. So it's graduate recognition for our high school seniors at this particular service. Uh, on average, that means they're 18 years old. Uh, there are other people sitting here right now who haven't even gotten up to 18 yet, and then there are others of us who are working on our second, third, whatever rendition of 18, because that's how generations go. I mean, when you do the millennial, Gen X, uh, baby boomer thing, those are always in 18-year uh, increments. Which one are you at today? I won't even disclose where I'm at. I'm getting up there, though. I think I'm working on number four. So uh, take a little time to think back 18 years. What's changed in our world in 18 years? Dead silence so far, but that's okay. You're deep thinkers at this service. Or Cell phones, obvious. What else? Politics. Politics. Uh, yeah, I, maybe. <laughs> hard, hard to say if that's changing or not, but yeah. It's always evolving. What else? Social media. Computers, video games. Uh, pardon? iTunes, yeah. Music availability in a totally different way. Uh, Amazon is a declining rainforest or an ever-increasing uh, cardboard box that shows up on your, on your front soup. Lots of stuff has changed. Uh, I'm sure this year's graduating class has heard a thousand times that they were on average born in 2001, so 9-11 has been a part of their life all along. Uh, just kind of think what has changed, but now also what have you learned in the last 18 years, and as people of faith, how can we get better at the things that we learn, and then how do we live them? A uh, new topic. Uh, who's the most famous NBA basketball player to wear the number 23? Uh, really? Does LeBron wear 23 too? Does he really? Oh, man. Ooh, then that's, man, that's. Depends what generation. Yeah, jeez. For sure, Tim, man. I just never paid attention on LeBron for some reason. Okay, anyhow, so LeBron and Michael both wore 23. Uh, who wears 23 for the Bucks? At every service, somebody's known that, Sterling Brown. So you have to, you have to be a, an astute NBA observer to know that Sterling Brown wears 23 for the Bucks. He did start a few games this year, though. Uh, but how many of you have heard of Sterling Brown? That's going to be much more likely because of the incident last year. Actually, it was just in the news this week, a possible legal settlement on that. Uh, but you all know how that went down, which was he parks illegally in a handicapped parking spot, uh, but then there's a super big escalation of police presence, and at least with the video and audio that's been released so far in that incident, uh, given the kind of the intensity of the situation, he's remarkably kind of polite and calm, but unfortunately in that one case, um, you know, the, the police escalate, it seems, tase him repeatedly and, and say really harsh things to him. And I don't think there's anyone uh, who thinks that's a good outcome in that particular 
situation. But uh, sadly, not a new thing and, and lots of dynamics and blame and possibilities in all sorts of situations. Bottom line is, could that have happened? It happened a year ago. Could that have happened 18 years ago? Yes, sadly it could have. Uh, I mean, we're a country that fought a civil war over race. Could it have happened 2,000 years ago? And sadly, the answer is yes. And if you were listening carefully when Katie read those two lessons, that's almost exactly what happens in the first lesson today. And there's a lot of really important detail in that story, which, which we should not miss uh, in today's world uh, in, in hopes of learning something. So think of, of that story from Acts chapter 16. Uh, the the uh, prelude to it is that Paul and Silas are called by the Spirit to preach the good news in a place called Philippi. And so that's where they end up in, in Acts chapter 16. And they preach the good news. And while they're doing that, a uh, described as a servant girl with the power of divination, in other words, a fortune teller basically, starts following them around and saying, uh, these men are, son, are, are servants of the Most High God. God listen to them. And, and she does this for days and does this over and over again, at which point Paul does what? He becomes not just annoyed, but very annoyed. And what's he annoyed at? See, now don't over-holy-size you know, the people in the Bible. He is not annoyed at the fact that she has an unclean spirit. Uh, he's not annoyed at the fact that she's a slave and somebody owns uh, he's not even annoyed at the fact that, that, her, that the slave owners exploit whatever the, the mnemonic weakness is within her to make a ton of money for themselves. None of that stuff is what annoys him. What annoys him? Just that she's following around making a bunch of noise so that he can't do what he wants to do. And so he finally gets so sick of it that he throws the demon out of her. And the only good thing about that part of the story is now this, this little girl is healed and whole again, and that's an awesome thing. But her owners are dismayed because their profit machine has just been wiped out, and they grab Paul and Silas, and they haul them before the magistrates, and a mob forms, and it's this super tense situation. And, and, and then what's like the first things that the slave owners say? These men are... They're Jews. And so the racism is, is, is obvious, but then, then it keeps going because the next thing is even more important. They teach us to do things that we, what? That we Romans, the contrast between the Romans and the Jews, shouldn't be doing. And that incites the mob and they go crazy and the magistrates have Paul and Silas beaten to a pulp and thrown as far into prison as they possibly can throw them. It's an ancient story, and it's a today story in lots of places in our world. Now, the magistrates made one little mistake. What's the little mistake they made? Anytime we jump to conclusions based on what somebody looks like, what their religion is, what their ethnicity is, bad things happen. And in this case, they jump to the conclusion that because these guys are Jews, they can't possibly be what? Roman citizens, but they are. Not many people in that world were Roman citizens. Paul and Silas were, which means they should have had all of the protections of the Roman Empire, including legal due process. Now, the other interesting little thing, you, wouldn't, you, you have to read between the lines to know this, who else are Romans in this story? The, the slave owners are, are, are Romans because they're the ones who say they're not, they're not like us Romans. 
But who isn't, a, who isn't a Roman in the story? Apparently the magistrates are not Romans, and so all of a sudden they find out that, oops, we just beat these guys to a pulp when we had no legal right to do that, and now we are in deep due because of it. And they just want Paul and Silas to disappear and not make an issue of it. Do Paul and Silas make an issue of it? Yeah. Tell them to come down here and speak to us. And so the magistrates do come down. And what do they do? They apologize, which is a good thing. And then that's about all they do. They just say, could you guys leave town? And then hopefully this will all go away. And do they leave town immediately? They do not. They go to the house of someone that's referred to elsewhere in scriptures, this great early hero of the faith, this woman, Lydia. And she takes care of them. And now, something you would only know by, by knowing the rest of the New Testament is, is the ultimate ending of this story is, is, is that um, Paul writes all of these letters you know, to, to the churches he founded. But near the end of his life, he writes the one that's the, that's the most him. It's so intensely personal and so filled with love and gratitude to the people to whom he writes it, what faith community does he write that letter to? He writes it to the people of Philippi, this place that had beaten him to a pulp. If it was you or I, in all likelihood, we would leave town and try and forget about it and never go back to it. But no, because somebody like Lydia and the other people of that community actually cared for them in the midst of all of that, and, and, and rebuilt trust and relationship. Uh, and instead of becoming a, a bad memory for Paul and Silas, it becomes a place that he treasures deeply. And he writes about that as his own life is coming to an end. What have we learned in 2,000 years? We've learned that when you make a mistake, apologizing isn't a weak thing. It is a life-giving thing. At least a couple of years ago, there was that study that said if, if a doctor makes a mistake and personally apologizes to a patient, he or she is much less likely to be sued. But it almost seems as if we've learned the reverse lesson, which is you can never apologize because you might lose the next power battle or, or it might be a sign of weakness, and it's not. Those magistrates didn't do much right in that story, but the one thing they did right was at least they apologized. If somebody else creates a huge problem in the world, is it up to you to solve it? There's a part of us that would say, no, not my deal, not up to me to solve. Was it, was it Lydia's deal that these guys had been beaten to a pulp? No. Did she do something about it in the aftermath? Yes, she did. In other words, stuff goes wrong in your relationships and in our world all the time. Most of it isn't my fault and most of it isn't your fault either. It doesn't absolve us of the good news that we represent, to care and to heal and, 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 and to rebuild trust and to communicate in a way that things haven't been communicated before. This is, this is the essence of the gospel of good news in a broken world, that people like us do not give up. We keep talking. We keep healing. It's a powerful story. If we choose to be open to it, we've learned a lot in 2,000 years. How do we get better? So there was this news article this week about Sandy Hook a couple years after the shooting 
in that school that killed 20 students and six faculty and administrators. And kind of the, the good things and the bad things that have happened in the aftermath of that, uh, one of, the, one of the, the reactions was, of course, people across the country were horrified and wanted to do something to support that community. But then frequently people don't know what to do, and, and so then sometimes the response is kind of disproportional. Uh, so uh, 60,000 teddy bears got sent to Sandy Hook. Uh, more bicycles than there were children in the city. And they were able to ultimately you know, uh, uh, send the bicycles elsewhere, but there was literally no financial way to do something with 60,000 teddy bears, and so most of them just got burned and turned into sacred soil at a memorial. The, the good thing about that is that there are tons of people in our community, our country, our world who care, who want to do something when bad things happen to other people. But the hard part is that so often you don't know what to do or what you do is, is maybe not effective. How can you and I learn and be better? One of the answers you already know, which is this is why we do long-term consistent partnerships here, to, to know people over time, to work with people over time, to talk over time, what's the best use of resources, how do we do this better. Um, I can tell you that the, the, the Lenten appeal here to, to help with people's dental work at the Bread of Healing Clinic, uh, about two weeks ago they started already uh, helping people get dentures who literally had no teeth in their mouth. And, and that's because of something that you as a congregation give. That changes lives remarkably. It is so powerful. That's a really good use. But even we screw it up sometimes. You, you just can't be perfect. The one thing I want you to, to think about today is we're not just, we're a really resourced congregation, but we're not just givers. We receive. Uh, yesterday we had a 17-year-old, uh, Evan Typelog, get his uh, Eagle Scout award here, and his troop built for us uh, the Gaga Wall Pit over at the Christ the King campus. Um, any aged kid, including uh, ones on their fourth uh, cycle of 18s, love to, to play Gaga Wall. It's just this, it's a simple thing. It's a nice thing. It's, it's a good thing. They shared it with us. In the gospel lesson today, Jesus prays for unity. In John's gospel, we have that prayer twice. John is the only gospel that has it. John's the last gospel written. In other words, John's gospel is three generations after Jesus. People are already disagreeing with each other. And so John's gospel takes the time to slow down and not once but twice say, Jesus' most fervent prayer for us was just to be one. We won't ever all believe the same thing. But we are actually together when we try and care for each other, when we listen to each other, when we extend ourselves when we wouldn't have needed to, and as a result, demons are tossed out. The world is better. It really is. The sermon title is An Infinite Reason to Ask. Our neighbors, who they are, where they're from, what's important to them.
There are infinite reasons to do that in life. But God is the infinite reason, the driving force for you and I to be the human beings we were created to be, attentive, loving, sharing, done.